Welcome back to ATVS The Podcast. Jeff here. I've been out of the pod ship for a while, and I'm glad to be buckling in for the upcoming journeys. My guest this week is Katie Onsager. She's the co-founder and executive producer of Small Forces. Katie was introduced to me as a strong, inspiring woman who's raising others up while pursuing her passion, and that introduction was spot on. Let's jump right in with Katie Onsager. Thank you for listening to All Things Big and Small, ATBS, the podcast. My name is Keith Gorman, good friend of Jeff Vollmerich. Jeff's doing some wonderful things. I encourage you to become a patron. Go to atbs.com and click on the patron link. Now back to the program. Katie, welcome to ATBS, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this morning and being willing to share your story and see where we go, see what we cover. Thank you. I'm looking forward to chatting. That's great. Thank you. What better place to start than Small Forces, your business, your organization? Can you just give us a little overview? I think it's a great place to start and then we can dig in deeper. Like, How did you get there? Where did it all start? And we'll take it from there. Sure. So Small Forces is a documentary production project that is aimed at elevating and amplifying the stories of grassroots nonprofits. So we seek out organizations, individuals who have creative solutions to big societal problems, but at a real community level in a specific way that highlights what they're skilled at and what they know about. And they use their talents for the betterment of their community. So we seek out these people and we kind of drop in from the sky and say, hey, do you want to collaborate with us on a short documentary film? And we produce something for them with impact in mind. So we're trying to create something that they can use to raise money, to reach more volunteers or more participants or whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. That's our goal and that's our audience. And we've created... Uh, close to 50 of these so far in our four-year existence. And it's a wonderful thing to be involved in because you get to see people who are, you know, I think the majority of people, but it's not as covered in the news, but people who are good and who are making a lot of difference. It sure looks that way when you go to your website, smallforces.org, and look at the stories and look at the impact, which I think your website is really beautifully done too, because you get to see not only what are the organizations doing, but what your spotlight and your cameras and helping them spread the word has accomplished, which is really, really cool. Like real action, real things happening in real time. Thank you. Yeah. It's part of our mission to track the impact of every documentary that we produce, because we really want to prove that investing in this type of production creates more for the nonprofits than, you know, what was put into it. So it really does have an amplifying effect. And twofold, I would imagine where, as you said, you want to give the nonprofits a broader audience. And then of course you're in the business of, it doesn't 
happen by accident and without funding to do what you do. So interesting combination there. Challenging, I'm sure. It can be, but we have really great supporters who believed in this project from the beginning. And so we just feel really honored to carry out this work. As I was reading through, it feels a little bit similar, not to compare, but you know, people say to me like, Jeff, how do you decide who you're going to talk to next on your podcast? What direction you're going to go? And, you know, some of it for me is just, you know, personal curiosity. What's interesting? What am I experiencing? What do I think is, you know, other people would, you know, benefit from hearing? And I'm curious, as I look through your stories and I'm like, you know, you're in Chicago I can see that there's some, you know, geographically, there's some things that are very specific to Chicago, but you're really all over the place. What's your process for finding these wonderful organizations? Yeah, every year our team meets to discuss essentially what issues we're interested in covering. So, you know, do we want to tell more environmental stories this year? Do we want to tell more stories of employment opportunities, second chances, whatever, whatever the topics are? And then we sort of discuss what regions are experiencing those problems the most. So we were looking a couple years ago at the opioid crisis and really wanted to find an organization in the larger Midwest, not necessarily Chicago, that was dealing with that issue and solving it in a creative way. And then once we sort of have that meeting, we sort of break down and do a lot of different things. I'll read local newspapers in some of the regions that we have targeted to find some creative stories. I'll look at grant-making organizations and see where some of that money is flowing. Um, And just word of mouth a lot of times, asking people I know who live in certain areas, like, do you know of any organizations doing really great work? In our sort of startup years, it was a lot of sort of just figuring it out on the go. And since then, it has evolved a little bit. Now we have people reaching out to us, which is exciting. And we're working on developing a more sort of official way to sort of vet who will receive the gift of a small horses video. But up until now, it's been just basically our team finding and figuring it out. And I come from the world of journalism before being a documentary filmmaker. So it's uh, definitely a natural thing to me to be trying to find stories. Yeah. Fascinating. And they're so varied. They're really interesting. What I think is there's so many big challenges in the world in general and certainly, you know, today, as we all know. And it's so easy to get focused on the problems. At the same time, there are so many good things happening in the world and so many good people doing good things. And here you are, you know, shining a bright light and a you know, wonderful cameras on people doing wonderful work. So it feels really good. And I don't know that much about it. So how long have you been at it? So we launched in November of 2016. And prior to that, we had been working on the project kind of as a pilot to sort of prove this hypothesis without any sort of branding or thinking that it might develop into a series of its own. But we had been working on some public television work in Chicago uh, with some underwriters. And we kind of all believed in this idea for media to make a really big impact. 
And so as part of the work we were doing for public television, we said, let's try this method of storytelling too in this production. And the results immediately were so overwhelmingly positive that we said, okay, we need to turn this into a real project and really put a lot of time and energy into it. In today's world, I'm curious, you know, you've got the journalism background, documentary filmmaker, content, and with social media and so many outlets, so many ways to get information out into the world. Once you've created a documentary, does your organization work to spread the word or do you just create the documentary and give it to the organization and see what they can do with it? How does that work? Yeah. So our primary audience is the organization's audience. So we're working with them to distribute it to their networks, whether that's in person at a gala fundraising event or through social media, through a microsite through email communication, volunteer trainings, anything and everything that they can use it for, we support that and that is the first goal. Because of that, we haven't done a lot of our own distribution, partially just because we're a small team. I mean, there's only two people who work on this project really full-time and then a few others who work on it on a smaller basis. And so... One of our goals is to find new distribution methods for the future as we're hoping to grow and expand this project. And that might look like more film festivals. It might look like trying to get some sort of streaming or television distribution. Or something that we're really excited about is getting some educational distribution and using the films as a tool in middle schools to talk about civics and social emotional learning and empathizing with people you've never met before who are facing challenges maybe you've only heard about vaguely. Um, So that's something we're really excited about. And it's never been our intention for these films to go viral. We really want to focus instead on direct impact, which is why we mostly just focus with the organizations and getting that message out to who who needs to hear it. But we recognize that there's a lot of potential for these stories to move large groups of people emotionally. So we're just trying to crack that still. It's refreshing to hear that you're not trying to have them go viral. (laughs) (laughs) It honestly relieves a lot of pressure, you know, when you can focus instead on the specific impact. And there's a lot of noise online right now, and it's a little bit relieving. (laughs) Right. You know, I can well imagine, right? Like ATBS, the podcast has been out in the world since June 15th. Here it is the beginning of August, you know, six or seven weeks only. And people will say, how do you monetize that, Jeff? And I say to them, that was certainly not my initial motivation. Like, hey, I'll do a podcast and I'll make money. You know, we all have our own stories. We all have our own ways of getting to what we're doing. And how did our wandering paths get us to where we are today? And certainly for me, having a podcast If you'd told me that five years ago, I would have said, "Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I can't imagine that. But, you know, life throws twists and turns at us and then we go along. But I can find myself periodically looking at, you know, how many times has it been downloaded? How many people are listening? How many patrons do I have? (laughs) What's the distribution like? Who is anybody out there? And then I realize I go back to, for me, not to compare small forces and ATBS, but 
I'm really interested in my own way, exploring and talking to people who are doing, you know, fascinating things in the world. And if by having a conversation with somebody like yourself, a listener hears what you're doing and is inspired in their own way to find, you know, maybe get involved or engage or research or learn or integrate something into their own lives, I'll consider that success. Not does it need to be, you know, a thousand listeners or, you know, a hundred thousand listeners or, or whatever it might be. So super refreshing to hear you say that, you know, it's not about distribution, your own distribution and, and videos going or documentaries going viral. It's about, seems like it's about doing the right thing. Yeah, exactly. And the whole purpose of the program is lifting up small organizations and people who are already making small impact and affecting things on a community level. And so it makes sense that then our goal is to have our film also make an impact on a community level too, to sort of match that. I'd like to read this. And it took me a moment to, to do this this morning because your website moves rather quickly. It's it's, <laughs> not, it's super dynamic. And on the homepage, I love the fact that it these words come and go and they come together and then new words come in. I'm just going to read this real quick because it I was reading it and I, and I was like, that's really inspiring. And so the words change like this, small forces, the forces, the mission, big mission, big changes, human changes, human stories, new stories, new ideas, creating ideas, creating connection, small connection. And I love all of that, especially in the world in which we live today, this idea of and reality and need desire for connection and for the human stories. It's very relevant in the world we live in today. Thank you, first of all, for taking the time to read all those scrolling words. And (laughs) they're kind of the basis of our mission statement. And human stories are at the center of everything we do. That doesn't mean we don't tell stories about the environment or animals, but we always are relating those things back to how they're not only how they're affecting people in the community, but how people in the community are advocating for those things, because ultimately it all goes back to, it all goes back to the people and that's, what's going to move other people. So the other thing that it says is uh, global stories told locally, right? So, you know, I think in the world we live today and I have an episode that's going to release by the time this comes out, it will have been out And it got released on August 10th. So let's say that. And it's climate change, important distinctions and differences between, you know, climate change and weather and things like that. And it's fascinating because it can be such a divisive topic, as many can. And some of it gets politicized and and so on and so forth. But, you know, what was great about the conversation is that, you know, the gentleman that I was talking to, this guy, Michael Furness, who knows what he speaks like it wasn't opinion interjected there weren't politics interjected and when we think of climate change oftentimes we think of doom and gloom and all of the challenges and so on and so forth and it was so refreshing to talk to him because in part of it you know he he said look like we've got a little bit of time the good news is we've got a little bit of time not a lot of time but we do have a little bit of time and we do know what needs to be done. 
and certainly through this pandemic, you know, we've seen some things where, you know, like, oh, there's no way to clean up the air pollution. And then everybody stops driving. And, and 30 days later, it changes rather rapidly. We're learning some of those things. So, well, and I think that's what's so interesting about what we can do with small forces is it is overwhelming to read about climate change and feel a little bit like, well, what can I do? Nothing I can do will make a difference. It's all about collective action. But there are a lot of really community-based issues with climate change. And for example, one of our stories is about this place in Chicago called Rebuilding Exchange, which is all about the recycling within the home. So if you're renovating your home, rather than coming in with the classic HGTV style demolition day and wrecking everything and throwing it away, you can take it apart, whole cabinet sets, and bring it to this place, old appliances, everything, and consumers and contractors will go there to shop and repurpose all of these materials. And what's cool about it is it started from a local problem. Some of the landfills in our county stopped accepting home debris. There were a lot of reasons, some of which I understand and some of which I don't, why that was happening and what was causing certain landfill leaks and things like that. But the fact of the matter was they had to, a new solution had to be formed. And now none of the landfills in this region will accept home debris. So we have to come up with a solution. And so what I love about this organization is not only are they creating this really cool warehouse to go shopping and find cool old windows and doors and things like that, but they also established a job training program. So if someone who's in need of a second chance for one reason or another wants to come and get some good skills about warehousing, sales, manufacturing, all of those things can come and learn those things there and then go on to a job in another in another field. And so it's that combination of community specific problem solving with the human side of the story, but it's still at the end of the day, a climate change story. You know, it's just sort of reframing it to think, how can our community help in this way? I love that. The human component, come in, learn a skill, come in and shop. Necessity is the is the mother of invention, right? So, oh, sorry, we're not going to take this stuff anymore. And out of that comes, you know, a great project and story. And, you know, and I think it's happening, as you know, it's happening all around us all the time. People are are figuring out ways to to solve problems. And, and I think that obviously that's the business that you're in is, oh yeah, you're solving problems. Let's, let's see if we can help you expand that reach and, and uh, accomplish your goals. I, I just love that. The rebuilding exchange, that's in Chicago, yes? Yes. In our part of the world, it's the Restore. And the Restore is part of the uh, Habitat for Humanity. So the funds go to, you know, helping people who need housing and, you know, just one good thing after another. Yeah, I love that. And it's great. And I, I love things like this because it does sort of remove the politics from it. I think, you know, Decades ago, things that we bought were used for a much longer period of time. And it was more normal to, you know, not only use things for longer, but then recycle them when you were done with them and bring them to a new home. And I think kind of going back to that method is a good thing. My mother, who is 82 years old, will say, you know, it's just, they just don't make them like they used to. <laughs> and, you know, we have, I think it's a combination of, there's a little bit of a, you know, the throwaway society, right? Where we just, well, it doesn't work anymore, so I'll just replace it. And then there's some truth to that, right? Things that some th things in some cases used to be built much more durably, you know, for the long haul. 
But it's funny to listen like, oh, they just don't do it like they used to. So you said you've done close to 50 stories. And the only one that I've watched through and through is the Dragon Boat People. <laughs> I forget what it's called. What is that one called? Paddle Together. Paddle Together and the story of the dragon boat racing. What are you excited about pointing your cameras and lights at next? I know challenging during pandemic, but I imagine you're, you'll be chomping at the bit when the opportunity arises to get out and move around and do what you do. What do you have your sights set on? Yeah, great question. Well, we're in early stages for three projects right now that I'm excited about. One of them is about a program that helps students get into the financial industry from uh, communities that are underserved in Chicago. And it's founded by a Black man who had a career in finance and didn't see many other colleagues that looked like him and wanted to do something about that. And so he launched this program that targets black and brown students in Chicago, although they will be expanding to new cities for next year, which we're really excited about. And it's for high schoolers and college students, and they just help them get more social capital that they don't have access to and networking and also the literal education part of it, learning about financial literacy and things like that. So we're starting some virtual stuff with them now, but going to do some in-person filming once things are safe to do so. On a different note, another program for teens, though, is all about urban design. And it's a world that I'm not very familiar with, but it started by a woman who's an architect and an urban planner. Again, we love when people who are you know, using their experiences from their world to help others. And she believes that teens are the people who are most often in public spaces. I mean, you think about public schools, public libraries, public transportation, teens are all over public spaces, and yet they don't have a seat at the table to make any of those decisions. And so she's forming this coalition of teens who are passionate about design and who are public school students to create a teen urban plan. And I'm really excited to see where that goes and the ideas they have and how they can use their voices to, you know, advocate and let people in power hear their voices. And I think that's sort of a trend we've been seeing a lot. I mean, I think you see Greta Thunberg, I think is her name, the climate activist, and all of these teens are kind of speaking up and have new platforms now. So I love this idea as something that's kind of unique and something I wouldn't have thought about, the importance of public spaces being safe for teens. And then... Lastly, we're working with Apnagar. This organization has been around for actually 30 years, and they've steadily been providing services for a long time to immigrants and refugees who've experienced gender-based violence. But what they're really excited about is sort of this shift that's been happening from what was previously a responsive organization. So when an act was committed... They were there for the women. They would take care of them. They'd help them find a safe place to live. Everything that comes after an act of gender-based violence. They've always have been, but now have had more resources to shift towards preventing those acts from even happening and bringing men into their programming and the fold and education and mental health and all of those things. So I'm excited about that from as we talk about problems and solutions and 
thinking of that as like a really big solution to a problem. And that one will be really, I think, challenging subject matter wise, um, but really important to get that story out there. Three really good ones. Thought provoking. I sit here and make notes and scratch my head and think, hmm, where do we go? It, one of the things that you just mentioned um, having to do with you know the acts of gender-based violence, there's an episode that is actually out presently, August 3rd of 2020, and it's called Doing Good with Tracy Evans. This is an ATBS, the podcast episode, and Tracy Evans has an organization called um, Kids Play International. And I just listened to the episode yesterday after it came out because I had recorded it a bunch of weeks ahead of time. And she has an organization which they go into post-genocide affected countries, specifically Cambodia and Rwanda. They introduce youth to non-familiar sport. And what it does is it opens up an opportunity to teach them gender equity. And she learned this. She's a three-time Olympian and She's had now Kids Play International for 12 years. The goal is to go deep, not broad, right? So most nonprofits, you know, the goal is, well, we need to have more reach. In their case, they're more interested in long-term success within a community. So they've been in some of these a community in Rwanda now for, you know, 11 years. And so they have kids that were seven years old who are now graduating as, you know, 18-year-olds from this program. And the reason I bring it up is because I was talking, I was listening to it yesterday and they're some of the, what they've learned in these other countries, they're going to now bring domestically in universities, you know, ways of teaching, training, coaching, and dealing with gender equality. That reminds me of two, if, if I could just share two quick anecdotes. Um, Please. So just hearing that story about kids play, and I can't wait to look deeper into their website. But it reminds me of two stories we've done. One was almost the very first one we did called Ultimate Peace. And it's about bringing Ultimate Frisbee to Israel and specifically to regions that have young people that are both Arab and Jewish, all different religions. Uh, There's Christians, Jewish people, and Muslim people who attend the camp. And the whole goal is to teach them strategies for developing peace in the region, but through ultimate Frisbee. And the rules of ultimate Frisbee are really conducive to that because there's not like a quarterback style leader in ultimate Frisbee. Before you can even take a step, you have to pass the Frisbee on to someone else. So it travels down the field person to person. And there's also no referees in ultimate Frisbee. If there's ever a foul Someone has to call that. And then the teams huddle together to come up with an appropriate response to what the foul should be. So I, it reminds me a lot of what she's doing. And I wonder if they're incorporating that sport too. Yeah, fascinating. It, it'll be good for you to go look and I, I'll be happy to you know, make any introductions or anything like that. But um, I know that like by way of an example, when they went into, uh, I think, Rwanda, she, where she, well, or maybe she was in Malawi when she first went over as a volunteer. And what kind of flipped the switch for her was she was over there as a volunteer for a couple of weeks. And so there was a camp going on and somebody brings out the soccer ball and soccer being the sport of Africa and it being a male dominant sport. 
like almost immediately the boys were playing and fully engaged. The girls were sitting on the sidelines and there was no interaction. There was no breaking through that, no matter what Tracy and the, and the other volunteers did. And the following day, somebody brought out a softball and a softball glove, I think. And these young people had no idea what the sport was, had no idea how it should be played, no idea who was in charge. Can girls play? Can boys play? Like, no idea. And that's what flipped the switch on for her. She's like, oh, wow. Like, if you can introduce something that isn't steeped in tradition and culture and geography and all of those things, and your ultimate Frisbee piece makes great sense because that's, it was softball initially. It was like a light bulb went on. She said, well, this is one of the ways we can do this. And that was before she ever started her organization, but that was the, that was the seed. And so I love hearing ultimate Frisbee because what a great, I, I guess I've, I've never played. Me either. And there's another program in the U.S. called Coaching Boys into Men that is about basically teaching high school athletes how to have healthy relationships. Also kind of banking on the fact that in many schools, athletes are perceived as the leaders and have a lot of social capital in the school. And if you can train them to stand up when something terrible is happening at a party or something along those lines, you could prevent a lot of gender-based violence that happens to high school students at the time when a lot of them are having their first romantic relationships. And what's cool about it is it's not taught by, you know, your science teacher, or your health teacher. It's not taught by your parents or, you know, your guidance counselor. It's taught by your coach. So you do it with your team. Your coach leads it. Your coach gets trained by this organization how to have these conversations as part of your practice. And they've done a lot of research to prove that it's a successful program in preventing violence from happening. So I'm a huge champion of that program as well. Let's just say, you know, coaching boys into men, I'm just going to make an assumption that it was a number of years ago. Let's say, you know, three plus years ago. Yep. And so how do you follow up, stay in touch, see how they're growing and going and, you know, with projects that you worked on years ago? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm glad that we're talking about coaching boys into men specifically because they have had a really wonderful year this year in growing and specifically using the video to grow. So we filmed in Seattle for coaching boys into men, though it is a nationwide program. And the people in Seattle who are running that program don't technically work for coaching boys into men. They're more like advocates who are bringing the program to their school. Somehow, Someone who works for uh, the Seattle Seahawks saw the video. They had been posting it a lot. The school had been sharing it. And this was, again, like you said, a couple years after we had made it, but they still were using it to recruit new schools to join, new coaches to join, all of that. It was out there in the circles it needed to be. But someone from the Seahawks saw it and said, oh, we want to be involved in this. And so they went and presented and they said, what we really need is the space to train more coaches and the commitment to pay for 300 new coaches to get trained. And the Seahawks were like, we can provide both of those things. Then the Mariners caught when this was happening and they're like, oh, we want to be involved in that too. 
And the local ESPN radio affiliate was like, oh, we want to be part of this too. So what ended up happening is they all worked together over the course of last year to host several trainings, one in each season for the different sports seasons that were that season. So in the spring, it was baseball, et cetera. And they trained more than 300 coaches across Seattle to start bringing this into their schools. And then the city of Seattle matched that funding with an additional funding to ramp up this program even more. The video was used as part of the trainings because we were able to interview teenagers who had been part of it, who talk about what they learned in it, which is really powerful to like hear a 16-year-old boy talk about how if he were to be at a party and there was a girl being harassed, he would step up and say something like... Teenage boys don't always just say stuff like that. Right. And so I think obviously there was a lot of hard work from a lot of people to make this happen, but we're really proud that like the video was the catalyst for all of this to happen and can continue to lead to great things for the growth of this mission even years after the video was created. <laughs> That's got to feel good. <laughs> totally. I can imagine as you're telling that, you know, kind of wrapping that story up, like you can picture that going city to city. I mean, like, you know, when you think about professional sporting organizations and athletics and, and. Oh yeah. It'd be a slam dunk for them to be partnering with local high schools and, you know, they could use the PR certainly. And uh, yeah, what a really good thing for them to be a part of. So yeah, that's, that's the goal. I imagine that's what's going to happen. Like, oh yeah. Okay. That's Seattle. And then you tell the story and, and someone who knows who hears this story? That's one of the coolest things about, for me, you know, I have no idea who's listening. Mm -hmm. I have no idea who's going to, you know, who's going to hear it. And it really, in the past week, for me, it's been fascinating because I had some appointments yesterday and, and I was in Salt Lake and I was talking to people and they're like, oh yeah, no, we're talking to, like, I love this episode and I love that, that episode. And it's coming from places that you just, you know, you don't know. You have no idea where it's going to. So here we are talking about coaching boys into men and the program in Seattle. And, you know, who knows, you know, in a handful of weeks when this comes out, who's listening and in some other city in the country who says, yeah, let's let's find out about that. Positive visualization. I'm just you keep saying that and it'll happen. <laughs> exactly. And setting our intentions having an idea where we want to go and how we want to see things be. And, and it makes such a big difference. I having a, a conversation last night with a gentleman who's a, um, an orthopedic surgeon and a, and a long distance, uh, like triathlete, ultra marathon sort of guy. And we were having this conversation about how, just how powerful our minds are. And, you know, if we really, you know, when we talk about setting our minds to something, um, and you just touched on it, you know, with visualization and intention and, you know, you put things out there into the world with great intention. And, you know, the story about coaching boys into men that, you know, years later really gets a hold, which is awesome, right? Like it's, I love the fact that it's not, you know, this instant viral thing. It's, you know, some of these things take time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's worth it. Yeah. And it's worth it. That's <laughs> another one of my guests uh, early on said, that he heard from somebody else as he was learning business that the slow build is the only build that endures. Things that take time, things that, you know, slow and steady, slow and steady. It doesn't have to be overnight. 
you know, and, and that can sometimes be frustrating, but, um, I love the fact that here you are into your, what seems like about your fifth year of doing this and, you know, close to 50 stories and many of them out there in the world. I think it's fascinating. I love what you're doing. I love the fact that we've been introduced and share some stories and, and, uh, and take a little deeper look at small forces. And clearly I always think of like, what would the episode be called? And I kind of thought, you know, small forces, big vision is what was in my mind. And I try not to be too, oh, you know, self-serving or whatever, but I'm like, yeah, no, it feels like a small forces. As you said, it's the two of you working full time and having great impact and having a big vision and making a difference in the world and making a really positive impact. Thank you. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Here's something that I'd love to try on for size. If you had the opportunity to, in your case, turn your microphones and cameras on anybody, who would you like to talk to? Hmm. Wow. This is a really interesting question because I feel like I'm a very privileged in this way that a lot of times if there's someone I do want to talk to, I can call them and Make it happen. <laughs> I say, oh, I have a platform and do you want to speak? But I will have to, can I take a moment to think about this a little deeper? Yeah, absolutely. Somebody brought it up to me and it's a little bit like asking the question, if you could have dinner with anybody, you know, in history, who would that be? Like, who would you want to talk to? The person that was telling me about it said that they heard a podcast and that's kind of how the host said, who would you want to talk to, to the guests? And the guests then turned it around and said to the host, well, who, who do you want to talk to? You know, who's out there in your world? And so I'll take it and say, my interests are kind of far ranging, you know, from a metaphysical aspect, there's a health and wellness aspect for us as humans. And then there's kind of a global universal health and wellness that I'm interested in. And it seems as though many of my conversations fall into those categories. Are you familiar with Stephen Kotler? I'm not. One of his books is uh, Stealing Fire. One of his books is uh, called Abundance. He's, he's written a bunch of different books. I've read a couple of them. He's a fascinating writer. Stealing Fire was about kind of the flow state, you know, getting in the zone and being in that flow state. And then he and a partner started the Flow Genome Project, which is you know, another just kind of interesting human physical, what are we capable of? What are we capable of when we get our minds out of the way? That kind of thing. I'd love to interview Stephen Kotler. That would be fascinating to see what he's learned in his life. And for me, that's one. I don't know. I haven't gotten the courage to call up Stephen Kotler and say, hey, I've got this podcast, ATBS, the podcast. Would you like to join me? <laughs> hey, it doesn't hurt to ask where he can say his no. Exactly right. Exactly. Okay. So what'd you come up with? So I don't know if it's okay to say someone who is no longer with us, but... Sure. It's okay to say anything you want. I think I would like to interview Roger Ebert, who is a famed movie critic and he passed away a few years ago. He was such a champion of documentary filmmaking and reviewed documentary films and spoke about them with so much passion and joy and critique. And I think, yeah, he's an awesome dude. He's a Chicago dude. 
So it would be great to to get his sort of sense for how the documentary industry is currently in 2020 and hear about all of the knowledge he has from the past several decades. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Siskel and Ebert, did, did they have their own television show or was that? Yeah, they did. I couldn't remember if it was tacked on to, you know, if like it was another, a part of something else, like, like Andy Rooney at the end of 60 minutes, but it was so, I guess it's like rotten tomatoes today. Right. right. But you got to see guys actually doing the, up, doing the reviews. Down. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Way more interesting than the thumbs up, thumbs down. Back to ATBS, the podcast, a, a little bit of a dovetail or a little bit of a follow on to what I just said. These conversations tend to feel pretty natural to me. And then there comes a point where you say, okay, well, that's, we've shared a great deal. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to share out with the ATBS, the podcast audience? Yeah, good question. Um, I think that, well, first of all, just to sort of plug, they can visit smallforces.org to see our stories and watch them. And I believe it's a good way to sort of lift yourself up if you're down about the state of the world, it's good to remind yourself that we're surrounded by good people. And on our website, if you go to the stories page, you can sort by uh, collection, which essentially means issue area. So if you're really passionate about the arts or veterans issues or gender issues, you can sort of pick and choose based on that. So you don't feel overwhelmed with what stories to watch. I'll also say that I'm always open-minded to hear about story pitches and ideas. So if anyone listening has an organization that they're really passionate about or they think would be a good fit for small forces, uh, definitely reach out. The contact box on our website goes straight to me. So uh, yeah, get in touch and I'd love to hear your ideas. I'm so grateful you're willing to spend some time here on a Tuesday morning and share what you're doing and Thank you for joining me on ATBS, the podcast. Absolutely. Glad that you are interested and thanks for having me and hosting this podcast. You're welcome. And as things open up, I wish you the very best and I'll follow along and and, uh, can't wait to see where you turn your cameras and, and what you get up to next. So again, keep up the great work. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode with Katie Jansager. And thanks for your interest in ATBS, the podcast. I sure appreciate it. We'll catch you here next time. Hey,